Ready? Yes. You don't sound like Maddie. I know, I shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not Maddie. (laughs) For everybody listening, Maddie is currently hiking the Dolomites versus sitting on a couch playing video games, which is what Chris and I did this week. What is the Dolomites? I think fancy mountains in Europe. I've heard of that, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know. All I know is that she's been working hard to be able to hike the Dolomites, and now that's what she's doing, so I assume it is vigorous. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, but now we have video games to talk about today. Yay! Yay! Maybe I can be an okay Maddie for the day. Okay, Maddie. Yeah. I'm Bridget. And I'm Chris. <gasps> <laughs> that was stupider than I thought it would be. <laughs> Welcome to Batty Breakdowns, where we hang out, have fun, and play games all the way to the end. Today, we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate 3. We'll give you the breakdown from its creation to its critical reception. Then we'll take you on a deep dive into the game as we share our own experiences and opinions while playing it. We'll close on if we recommend it who we'd recommend it to, and last but not least, our personal rating. And with that, let's roll some dice. Depending on how serious you want to be, you could possibly call it Baldur's Gate. Is that not what I called it? No, instead of Baldur's Gate, it's Baldur's Gate. Like the person's Baldur and it's his gate. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a long, I guess. (laughs) Well, that's there is. (laughs) So for our listeners, before we dive in, we're going to be following the format as usual. We will be getting into a little bit of spoiler territory, but we're only going to spoil portions of Act 1 of Baldur's Gate. So we haven't gotten far enough into 2 and 3, and Chris is vehemently against spoilers. Yes, no spoilers. No spoilers. So if Except you haven't... the spoilers that we're actually going to say today. <laughs> <laughs> so... If you haven't played Act 1, then you might want to put it down and go play Act 1, or at least portions of it, and then I'll see you in like six weeks when you get finished with And that's kind of serious. We are specifically going to very thoroughly spoil one subplot line of one location. That's true. But it's a very fun one. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with the description. Baldur's Gate 3 is a story-rich, party-based RPG set in the universe of Dungeons & Dragons, where your choices shape a tale of fellowship and betrayal, survival and sacrifice, and the lure of absolute power. I didn't realize Dungeons & Dragons was an actual universe. It's a fun fact. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Chris. This description (laughs) says that it is. It is not. So it must be. So Dungeons and Dragons is a rule set for playing tabletop RPG games and a brand and Wizards of the Coast and all of that. Specifically, you can write a D&D adventure and play in a D&D adventure in any world or universe that you want, including the real one, if that's what you want to do. And it's basically just fiction with rules to role play in it. In most cases, there's one major world that has been written for the majority of D&D content, but not all of it. Like, 
I'm going to say like 70%, but that's a completely made up number. <laughs> Great. Um, no sources. <laughs> that's a place called uh, Faerun. So if you ever hear, hear of Faerun, that is actually the universe that this is set in. Okay, is, so is this Faerun. is in Faerun. Faerun, yes. Oh, okay. okay. The game is set in the major D&D universe, but that is not the universe of D&D. It okay. is Faerun. All right. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Educated. <laughs> Sort of, I guess, at least some of that. <laughs> yeah. Before we actually get into how it's made, which Chris is doing for us today. Maybe. maybe? No, I'm doing it. Just not necessarily well. I didn't say you do well. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give us a brief premise of the game because I thought it would be a little bit interesting for this one. It starts with not Cthulhu. It's not Cthulhu. <laughs> It's a mind flayer. It's a whole race of creatures, yes. It's a mind flayer, I know. But Several mind flayers. I still thought it was funny to say not Cthulhu, because it looks like a weird Cthulhu You know they have monster. actual names that aren't mind flayer? No. And, no. Illithid. They're mind, illithids. Mind flayers <laughs> have started kidnapping people and putting tadpoles into their brains. Yep, baby mind flayers. Through their eye sockets. You, as the person, as a part of this role-playing game... Have a tadpole in your eye socket slash brain. Normally, those tadpoles would just turn you into a mind flayer, like pretty fast, from yep, what I could tell. Three days. But instead, you're just like chilling. And really, the only impact that you've had at all is that you can read the minds of other people with the little tadpoles. Sort of, a little. Is it not reading minds? Well, it is, but only when you connect and only for a moment. Okay, so you can read their minds. <laughs> you and others with the weird tadpoles now inside of your heads are on a mission to find a cure before you're turned into a mind flayer or worse. Yeah. How it's made? Okay. Yeah. In order to talk about how Baldur's Gate was made, I'm first going to talk about how a different game was made. Two different games in particular, which are Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2. And sort of Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's I was going to say you named two ones and twos, but they weren't the ones and twos they that I not. was expecting. Yes, they were not. <laughs> so you've got kind of two parallel trains going forward as you try and look at the history of Baldur's Gate 3. One of those is the history of Baldur's Gate, because Larian, the studio behind Baldur's Gate 3, did not make... Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Oh. Yeah, that was uh, Bioware, actually. Oh. So it was a completely different company made Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. And those were like many, many years ago. I have a note for it. 1998 for Baldur's Gate 1, 1998. So they made Baldur's Gate 1. They made Baldur's Gate 2. They actually announced plans for Baldur's Gate 3 from Bioware back in the day. And that was canceled and dropped. Oh. And then... When the, did they announce the original Baldur's Gate 3? I don't know. Okay. Some time ago. Probably like... Like more than a decade? Oh, yeah. More than a decade ago. Okay. Okay. Um, and for more than a decade, probably 15-ish years, but I don't have the exact dates in front of me, the IP for the Baldur's Gate video game has just sat there basically mm. multiple companies have been trying to get the ip to make baldur's gate 3 for mm. like over a decade including apparently in exile and obsidian oh. um, both wanted the ip for uh baldur's gate 3 listen this game is really good so i'm happy that it ended where it did but i would have liked to see obsidian's take on it a little bit it could have been fun i know yeah. i love obsidian but anyway okay so that's the baldur's gate track right we've got baldur's gate 1 and 2 made by bioware then flash forward a bunch of years and then we're kind of looking at the Larian train. Larian Studios, the creators of Baldur's Gate 3, 
have been studios for a long time that have made their own games that are not Baldur's Gate. Do we know any of those games? They're all vaguely named Divinity, as far as I know. Um, And there's like... Wait, they made Divinity? Yes. Larian made Divinity. I see. Okay. And now you know where we're going with this. I do. Okay, Um, okay. Larian made Divinity. And when I say Divinity... That's actually the name of a game. There's apparently like four or five of them, which I didn't realize. Mm. But the latest two in the modern era of video games were Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2. Okay. Larian made Divinity Original Sin, and that was intended to be, you know, in the same vein. I don't know if it was literally intended as a spiritual successor, but it was a video game adaptation of tabletop RPG. When you say in the same vein, do you mean in the same vein of the original Baldur's Gates or in the same vein as just D&D? That's basically the same. The The whole idea of this genre is to create a video game with the same degree of storytelling flexibility and choices that matter and world exploration as you get playing a tabletop RPG like D&D. Right. So the original Baldur's Gate, as well as later Divinity, were all kind of made in that same ethos. You know, the goal is to recreate the freedom of having your, you know, DM yeah. in front of you creating a game for you at your table. Yeah. Now, when we're talking Divinity Original Sin, mm-hmm. we're talking about like 2013, 2014 era. And they actually shipped it through a Kickstarter. They were a smaller studio. Mm. As they shipped it, as I found this on Wikipedia, actually, I didn't know this happened. But as they shipped Divinity Original Sin, they actually reached out to Wizards of the Coast and asked if they could have the IP for Baldur's Gate 3. Interesting. At the time, however, Wizards thought they were too small and unproven. Mm, that makes sense. You wouldn't want your big name to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so they didn't get the IP then. Divinity, as far as I know, was pretty popular. I didn't play it myself at the time, but it eventually led them to creating, as you might have guessed it, Divinity Original Sin 2. And <gasps> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I mean, they might have ended up not ever doing that and made Baldur's Gate 3 instead had they gotten the rights at that time, which is an interesting parallel universe to think about. But they didn't. So they made Divinity Original Sin 2. Mm-hmm. At least from my perspective, and I think a lot, I think most of the stats would agree, Divinity Original Sin 2 was just like a massive success for them and for this sort of virtual tabletop RPG yeah. genre and all of that. And Original Sin 2 has become more of a household name than any of these other things have been in in any recent past. And apparently, as they showed off the pre-release information and started teasing Divinity Original Sin 2, Wizards was so impressed that they actually reached out about giving them the Baldur's Gate IP oh, after so cool. all, after seeing how well they did with yeah, two, they which trusted them apparently wasn't out yet, um, but had been shown off enough yeah. that they were like, yes, they can continue yeah. on from the first one. And well, they had the first one, so they had at least some credibility that they could ship a workable game, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Okay, so now we're getting into Baldur's Gate 3 territory. Okay. As well as Divinity 2 territory. So I've actually played Divinity 2 myself. My brother and I Nerd. played it. It's really good. <laughs> we can talk more about this later, but it's the same game. And I like... <laughs> I mean that in a nice way. I don't mean to say like it's not any different, but like if you play Divinity 2 and then you play Baldur's Gate, you can very clearly see it's the same engine. It's the same world. It's the same mechanics. It's the same interaction mechanisms and the way menus work and the way Mm -hmm. cutscenes work and the way navigation and camera controls. It's very clearly the same, built on the same core, but with their Divinity mechanical system, which was not D&D rule set, Mm -hmm. you know, pulled off and D&D rule set 
slotted in on top of it really, oh. really well. Okay. And so it's it's Divinity plus D&D gives you Baldur's Gate 3, oh. which is pretty fun. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. One other thing that's interesting to talk about in terms of how it was made. Apparently in 2019, the same year that I believe Baldur's Gate 3 was first teased. So we're talking 2019, mm-hmm. just before COVID times. Rest in peace. D&D released a new tabletop RPG campaign called The Scent into Avernus. Avernus is, I'm not like an expert on D&D lore, but I believe it's the first of the nine layers of hell in Faerun D&D world mm-hmm. land. And that module that D&D module, real D&D tabletop version that they released in 2019 along to- alongside the first teaser for Baldur's Gate 3 is basically a prequel. Oh. That tabletop campaign takes place just a few months before the events of Baldur's Gate 3 in the game. Is that canon? Did you make this up? No, it's canon. <laughs> it's literal. It's real canon. And in fact, uh, you know, I have been far enough in Baldur's Gate 3 to hear reference to a bunch of events that happened in D&D world before Baldur's Gate 3 that I had never heard of before. And I was assuming it was just because you can't know everything about D&D because it's, you know, favorite is a huge world. But no, it's talking about the events of this D&D module that they released alongside the announcement of Baldur's Gate 3, effectively. Mm. So it's a tabletop prequel to the video game, just to hammer home that whole concept of this being a virtual tabletop RPG. That's really cool. We should play it sometime. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Oh, the thing I was going on when I got onto this tangent, early access. Yes, the thing that you played years of. Yes, literal years. So I mentioned <laughs> that they were teased in 2019. Baldur's Gate 3 was first teased in 2019. Early access uh-huh. was released October 6th, 2020. It is now August of 2023. And the game came out two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah. It was in early access for three years. Is that unusual? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, like, I don't have stats. I don't know how unusual it is, but yeah. that's a long time for a major, major game. Okay. If you think about how major, hugely popular games go, they usually don't go early access at all. They usually have, you know, internal betas. They maybe have some external betas that are yeah. limited for a few weekends. Coral Island was in early access. I think it still is. It's been uh, almost a year now. Yeah, maybe, but we're talking... But I guess that's one third the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this was a major, hugely anticipated game that shipped to full on early access, play as long as you want, you know, not weekend limited and stayed there for three years. Did it cost real money? I can't remember. I was just wondering if you could confirm that. I I don't remember. I it was three years ago after all. (laughs) (laughs) True. But anyway, yeah, my brother have been and I have been playing Divinity for years. And so we did obviously start playing the moment it released into I can early vouch access. For that. Um, yes. <laughs> and the fun part of it was they actually reset the world and progress a bunch during early access. So um, I've actually played the first couple hours of Baldur's Gate 3 like six times, seven <laughs> times. <laughs> And it did change over the course of it, but it's clear that they held back a lot of the polish, like visual polish. Until the end. Until the end so that they could create that that wow factor. Yeah, of like you're Um, finally in the Even for the people that have been playing it for years, there's still a wow factor when you first get into it at the level of detail and polish and the UI and the animations and the cutscenes and the graphics in general and everything that wasn't there during early access, even as recently as a month ago. So yeah, pretty cool. That's fun. That's how it was made. I like it. Sort of. 
Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can jump into a little bit on critical reception, which I think is actually pretty interesting too. Sure. Normally we pull some ratings. We talk about that, but there was a lot of extra fun data this time. Extra fun data like what? Well, you'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Patience. So this game so far has a 10 out of 10 on IGN, which is crazy. That's pretty good. 97% on PC Gamer. Also good. 96 on Metacritic. Those are good numbers. Rest in peace, Tears of a Kingdom, because I think they're sitting at 95. Still haven't played it. I know. This was better than that. (laughs) (laughs) And then on Steam, which is where all the interesting fun stuff comes, it's overwhelmingly positive with 95%. And it has landed itself in the top 10 Steam games of all time based on concurrent players. Pretty fast. Really fast. Larian Studios released their metrics for first weekend playtime, which is really fun. They actually, if you follow them on Steam or if you have the game on Steam, you can go and look through their updates. And they shipped this update on their feed that talked about all of the different fun stats that they had for the first weekend. It's really cool. First, during launch weekend, everyone combined played 1,225 years worth of this game. That's a lot of time. A lot of time. 368 people managed to finish it that weekend. That doesn't seem like it should be possible. I honestly have no idea Actually, how to do that. Actually, it maybe could be. If you speed run the main quest yeah, line. Yeah, if you just try and follow the main quest line, maybe. Yeah, but it's even kind of hard to follow the main quest line a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you don't really know what it is. Yeah, and it there seems like there's a one. lot of ways to solve the main quest line too. Yep, there so, usually is. Very surprised those 368 folks are troopers. Last thing for just general like success 28% of all player time on Steam on the Sunday of the weekend that it released playing Baldur's Gate 3. Wow. 28% of time. That's a lot of time. <laughs> Crazy. So more facts, but facts about how people played at the beginning, which is really, really fun. And I'm going to say them now. We can talk about them more in a bit when we actually get into the characters and the classes and all that kind of stuff. They said 93% built a custom character. Hmm. I think that's about what I expected. Interesting. Yeah. The most often picked character if you didn't do a custom one was gale which is crazy Hmm. why i still don't know people like wizards okay that's a fair reason the most popular race was a half elf and the least popular was a githyanki how do you say that githyanki i think it's githyanki githyanki i'm not sure (laughs) yeah that (laughs) exactly (laughs) the most popular class of the paladin which i still don't know what that is interesting Magic Knight? Uh, Holy Knight. Holy Knight. We can talk about that more too. And then the least was Cleric, which kind of makes sense. The healer. Yeah. But the second least was Druid. I don't think people know what Druids do. Oh. Because I was like, who doesn't want to rouse werewolf? Like, mm. I play D&D and I even know you could be a werewolf as a Druid. Well, I mean, like you can be a wolf during normal hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then last (laughs) thing, in character creation, people played a combined 88 years in character right. creation. Yes. Yeah, which I think be. I was probably, I probably contributed to at least four hours yes. of that. I spent a fair bit of time in well, character creation. Well, they made you make two characters, and I still don't know That's what the true. second one's for. Yep. I don't know either. Still don't know. <laughs> With that, I'll close out with a couple of quotes and then a little bit about the, I don't want to say controversy about reception, but there's a little spice. Hmm. So some quotes I found from Steam that are really fun. Five hours in and just finished choosing my race. Will update in a few days once my character is complete. (laughs) So that guy definitely contributed to that 88 years. The next one, this game sucks. It's too good. 
It makes all other games sort of pointless. <laughs> now, I only have one game to play, and the AAA developers don't want you to make more games this good. The bar is too high. Gaming is over. 10 out of 10 best game ever. Yeah, but at what cost? <laughs> well, at least it's a really long game that they can play for forever, a long time. For literal ever. And then over again. But that comment I thought was really interesting because the piece that that person mentioned was AAA developers don't want to make more games this good was actually grounded in some truth. So it started with a couple of tweets where people from smaller indie studios pretty much said, and this is a quote from the tweet, this is not a new baseline for RPGs. This is an anomaly. And they gave their reasoning to be the studio's experience building games like this. They had a lot of resources. They did a really long early access period. And this isn't something that a studio of 10 or 15 people are just going to be able to do. Like, they're just not going to be able to do this. And it doesn't mean that those games aren't going to be good. Like, we just, we can't churn out games like this all the time. I kind of get that, you know? Like, I agree with them. I don't know that a 10-person studio can run out and build a game of this polish with no budget, right? Like, I, I get that. But in that thread, which I called it a tweet, but I guess I don't know what they call them now. X's? I don't know. X? <laughs> I don't even want to try in that thread, more devs also jumped on that were from AAA studios like Blizzard, as an example, that were all also agreeing. Hmm. Like, okay, yes, get it for indie developers, but if AAA studios are also like, no, 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 don't think this is a standard, that's kind of wild. Like, it's I mean, a little wild. I don't even really know why it's a discussion at all, because really good games come out sometimes. People are talking about you this know? being like <laughs> a good game, you know what I mean? Like... Something that really does more than all the other RPGs before did. But it's really interesting you hearing you talking about Divinity. And maybe we'll talk about that more as we dig into our thoughts yeah, and Yeah, when I on hear it. this, I You're wonder like, it's why they haven't for... played Divinity. It's been here for 10 years. Yeah. Like, it's there. <laughs> it's the, it does You're the like, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say that Baldur's Gate isn't bigger and better and more of the same, but it's Divinity still hits all of the same high points yeah. for years now, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway, that's the end of my section. Overall, everyone really seems to love it. I only found one downvoted thing on Steam in my like 10 minutes of searching <laughs> and the downvoted one had 580 plus comments <laughs> on it all being like, shut the fuck up. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So with that, do you want to go ahead and jump into the game? Yes. Cool. So normally we start off with first impressions. Would you like to start off with yours? Sure. Do you remember your first impressions? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. My first impression was... Wait, okay, pause. Is this your first impression when you started early access or your first one picking up the new like release? I can tell you both. Okay. okay. I'll start with the early access one because it was the actual first impression I had. Okay. And my first impression was, hmm, this looks a lot like Divinity. <laughs> But with the D and D shell on top, oh. God damn it. <laughs> I think my my second my second reaction. I mean, that's that was really what I thought. It's yeah. like, oh, good, it works the same. My camera moves the same way. The menus are similar. My second reaction is probably more interesting, which is, oh wow, the D and D level on this is thorough. Mm -hmm. Like same exact characters all of the spells mechanics are the same resources are the same wow what a faithful recreation of the D, &D rule set basically yeah. was my second and probably more interesting thought about about the game all your thoughts are interesting um thank you <laughs> 
my initial thought coming back to the full version mm-hmm. um, when it released was early access was already fun. It wasn't very polished visually. Mm-hmm. They did improve it over the course of it, but I was still surprised by how much of a leap there was between the end of early access and the beginning of, of the full version in like every respect visual quality cutscene quality they added the rest of the classes in D and the rest of the skill sets the rest of everything else the first mission actually got mm. totally reworked mm. um that's like, kind of nice yeah i've played the first mission 20 times probably and when it came out the full version it was reworked it was it was different and better and you know shorter and more instructive is what i would say and so it was nice it was enough different and enough better that it was still a fun moment and not like a oh i gotta slog through the beginning again to get back to where i was which was pretty fun yeah i have so little experience with D &D. we've done a couple of campaigns i'm not an expert either you've done more than me i've done you have literal literature I've, yes, I have de- <laughs> I have DM'd a few campaigns when we, for some degree of time. When we went and saw the D&D movie, he kept poking me and saying, oh my God, that's funny because of XYZ interesting <laughs> thing about the D&D world. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so I have significantly less experience in this space. So my first impression is more like, one, the art was really great. Yeah, Cinematically, super cool. It's like watching a movie. It was. It reminded me, like, not the content, but the quality and caliber reminded me of the Diablo 4 opening, where I was like, I am watching a film right now. Yep. I was happy that you only stayed in the creepy area for a short period of time, and then you were out into nice, pretty open land pretty quickly. For now, he says. (laughs) The other thing that I would say that I noticed pretty fast was, like, I understood factually that this was D&D, and it was going to be D&D. But when you're sitting at a table with your friends, and you can't see anything, and the DM has said to you, and there's like a table over there, and some chairs, and some books on the shelves, and then some weird rocks or whatever then immediately they're like what's in the real weird rocks you know what I mean and in this I didn't realize that I should be treating it like I would I'm in a free-for-all in a world and I should just figure out what I want to do because like when I started playing you actually had to remind me that like I had missed half the stuff in the opening because I didn't realize that I needed to interact with almost everything yeah I think a lot of games you start and you're in an area and the area is interesting but there's one path forward yeah and maybe some stuff to kill I guess other than the tutorial section once you get out into the real world you're just there that's the whole world it's in front of you you can wander in any direction even after you've played it even people that are hours into the game even you right now I told you this I still don't think you believe me even having played for hours and hours and hours now i suspect that you by more than half underestimate the density of quests and things to do in every location which makes sense and as we get into more of the mechanics like even if you wanted to see everything you really can't do it on one run so well that's kind of that's the interesting part of why i know that right Mm -hmm. is because early access kept resetting And so the first area, the the Emerald Grove, I've seen almost everything there. (laughs) And it's probably like four times, five times more than you think is there. I believe that. And going through the rest of the game, I'll probably also not see that level of depth on my first playthrough because you kind of just can't. Like it's hard to even know or find a lot of the things. You have to really turn over every literal rock in order to find all the possible things you can do in the game. Do we want to jump in maybe to talk a little bit 
about overall gameplay and how it works first. Sure. Cool. So Chris has mentioned it. This game is D&D. If you haven't played D&D before, that might not help you understand what this game is. High level... It's a party game, not like a party game, like a Mario party, but I mean like you have a party of four people and you are made up of different races and classes and all of those are associated with their own different skill sets. It's this open world. I'll mention that the open world has a hidden map until you either find a thing that shows you the map or you walk there. So it's very much so you're exploring. The primary actions that you take throughout the game consist of things like very, very many dialogue options that are sometimes based on your own race or class or even background history. It includes NPC conversations as well as figuring out how you're going to read somebody's mind or actions, actions, all those things. Exactly. It's turn-based combat, which we'll dig into. And then the other kind of big aspect of playing the game is just observing and interacting with the world around you because you can do that with almost anything like we were talking about. And that can feel pretty puzzly at times. So maybe let's start off with what character did you pick? Um, I picked a warlock. You picked a warlock. What's a warlock? Yeah. It can be quick. <laughs> It can't really be quick. (laughs) It's a limited magic character that refreshes on short rests instead of long ones. More than that. D&D classes are broken into a few subsets. Mm -hmm. And they usually bridge a spectrum from combat to magic to utility kind of a thing. Uh There are physical attacking classes. There are magic classes. There are utility classes. And there are like healers, which can kind of fall into utility, but kind of are on their own. Warlock is interesting because it's not really a physical class at all, but it can kind of do any of the rest of it. Depending on how you build it, depending on like what feats you choose and what spells you choose and how you choose to play it. Um, Warlock is a magic caster that can also do a ton of utility based roles and do a fair bit of healing as Mm -hmm. well and so you can kind of choose to play warlock one of a lot of different ways depending on how you build it i chose druid and then rogue because i have two games we'll talk about why but i have a druid primarily in the game that we play together i can describe that only as i get to be animals yeah yeah you're a druid i just get to be animals i guess in that structure that you just described I think I would be a weird straddly bit between the magic, depending on the subclass that you pick up Druid, and the fighter-esque type. Yeah, Druid kind of... Similar to Warlock in that it's pretty flexible depending on how you build it. Yeah, it seems like a very specific. It's a a physical utility caster instead of a magic utility caster. Yeah. I will say I only picked Druid because I had done Druid in our campaign previously. So like I was a little bit more familiar with the options that I had and it felt a little less overwhelming to jump into that. But it's actually pretty hefty class like there's a lot of stuff you have to pick in it There's a lot of stuff in almost every class so i was thinking about that and i decided that if you're new to the game barbarian is the route okay because i actually played a barbarian for the first time in our game the other day and i think i liked it yeah it's fun and what i noticed is that i think for the first two or three levels you literally don't have to pick anything you just have to upgrade and at that point you've gotten a little bit more used to the other classes by playing yep. them i was playing with my brother the other day mm-hmm. and 
I picked the barbarian to join me and I picked the eagle heart something or other. And then I spent the next couple of battles. Every turn, I would just climb up on top of something tall and then dive off and <laughs> smack him with a big sword as I landed. That's fun. <laughs> I did fun. not pick that one. That yes. sounds fun. <laughs> it was entertaining. That might be a good segue into talking about like how the party works since you have to control all the people in your party. Depends on how many people you're playing with. That's true. So it's a size of four. And this is a multiplayer or single player game, Mm -hmm. but you would need a party of four. So if you have four people playing, then you each just play your own character. If you have one person playing, you play all four. Yep. Which I don't know how I feel about that. Um, Have you played solo yet? I haven't played much solo. Most of my time spent playing both Divinity and Baldur's Gate has been playing with my brother. So we each control two. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Which seems a lot more manageable. I would say there's two kinds of manageable in the game. There's like complexity management that comes from just D&D is complicated. Yeah. And there's like inventory and equipment management. Mm. And inventory and equipment management is way harder because the D&D parts you can learn. Mm -hmm. But the equipment management part is forever. Like as you go through the game, you constantly need to keep in mind like what things do I have? What things would I like to have? Is that piece better than that piece? Is this better for my build than that? And Mm -hmm. that complexity kind of grows more with four characters, I think. Yeah. Than the D&D complexity, at least once you get used to it. Yeah, because I was going to say, as someone who's not used to all the classes and they're kind of overwhelming, I avoided certain classes on purpose because I was like, especially the magic ones like wizard I was like I don't want to spend the time learning all the different subclasses and all the spells and I just didn't really want to do that and then to be put into the party game where granted you don't have to be a wizard in that case because you have different companions we can swap out and we can talk about you know who those are and all that fun stuff but you still like at some point you're like oh wow I really do need magic to balance my party and so to do that you've got to learn that whole system and then every turn-based battle that you're in you have to be thinking about all of the different roles that each of your characters should be playing it's kind of a lot yeah I, that's how D works too but you should just play yourself it's in It's a forever famous thing for people to Google what's the best character for a noob. Like, yeah. like what class should I play? What race should I play? But you don't as get that newcomer. choice here, right? Because you have to play all of them. That's true. Yeah. That is That's what I'm saying is I said barbarian's good for beginners. And then I'm going to say good effing luck because you're also going to be playing all the other classes. Yeah, I think... <laughs> You just might care less about them because they're not you. <laughs> I wonder if they considered doing like a D&D tutorial. There's one thing to know if you're listening and you haven't played this yet. There's one thing to know that will help you do everything easier, mm-hmm. which is to say almost every, probably every D&D class has a thing they do that is their fallback. And then some extra stuff they do rarely that does more damage. And so when you're picking a new class, figure out what the thing you do every turn is when you're not using a big spell. And then you just do that. And that makes it a lot less scary because you just occasionally experiment with other things. Eldritch Blast. Yeah, Eldritch Blast if you're a (laughs) warlock. Or Firebolt if you're a wizard. Or Raging and Running at Them if you're a barbarian. Every class has one of those things. And so finding that thing and doing that thing and then branching out every once in a while. Explore and exploit style makes it easier that actually reminds me of we talked about you playing all four characters playing multiplayer all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but the way that the game works right now too might be good to note is that when you're playing multiplayer the character that you and your friends are playing stay in the party 
Chris and I started a game and now I can only play that game with him unless I want to be playing his character for him if he's not there with me. Yep. And I actually read that they are planning on updating and changing how that works to put you in storage. Hmm. So you can still play on that. That makes sense. But without having to like not ruin, but you know, you make big decisions when you level up and not. Yeah. So I want to segue here a little bit sure. into talking about the bunch of people that chose custom characters at the beginning versus oh, yeah. what are called origin characters. Right. Or like the which are going to be your companions yes which we'll talk about. that's the point that's the interesting thing is in divinity you also had same sort of setup there's a set of companions that can be with you right the thing that's interesting that's true about both divinity and Baldur's gate is there's so much story in the world mm-hmm. but there's even more like crafted curated story around the companion characters yeah. in divinity they didn't have the same kind of camp system Where companions went back to your camp and you could easily switch. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they didn't, depending on the part of the game and what characters and how and who and when and all that. But it wasn't as like universally all companions are available as Baldur's Gate was. Right. There was more incentive to play one of the origin characters instead of a custom so you could get more curated story by having more origin characters in your party. That's interesting. Whereas in Baldur's Gate, swapping to the camp system means all the origin characters are always around and you can swap at will and explore alternate origin story curated things for all of them. Yeah. In your game without having to start a new game and pick different characters and stuff. Interesting. And so that's a very subtle change to what they did in Divinity that makes a massive difference yeah. if you want to explore the different characters curated stories. Basically. I'm glad they made that change. Yeah. I think that was a good change. I think it's a good change. Yeah. Chris mentioned the camp system for what yes. it's worth. The camp system is like Chris said, it's literally just a camp. You can go there at any time, but you collect resources throughout the game to be able to do your rests, your short and long rests. Yep. Those rests are important because certain classes have spells and you need to be able to renew your spell slots because those get used up in between those rests. This is one of the few canonical deviations from actual D&D. Oh, wait, I thought that was the same. There's one really important difference. In Baldur's Gate, uh-huh. you have to use camp supplies in order to successfully have a long rest. Mm -hmm. That system is not in D&D. In D&D, you can long rest and short rest whenever you want, at any time, in any campaign, for any reason. Problem with that is that it's super game-breaking. Yeah. Because if you look at the rules, you could be like in the middle of a kill a mini boss and before you walk into the boss's room, you know, you decide to take a 24 hour (laughs) nap and like hang out and make camp and play guitars by the fire to get all your spell slots back before you walk into the room. And so D&D games rely on the DM coming up with reasons driven by the story why you can't long rest at that time. Yeah. And so without a DM to tell what makes narrative and sense like that the camp supply system is Baldur's Gate's way of not letting you infinitely long rest to permanently have all of your spells always available that makes sense I also noticed if you do in the game go to rest while there is something that seems time sensitive happening on the screen it won't be there when you get back like I've had people leave I've had fires go out I saw that too yeah (laughs) that I thought was really interesting consequence and it makes me think about it more now I'm like oh my god I really need to rest I'm like oh my god but what if I rest and this person gets hung you know and I missed it yep 
Yeah. The other special thing about camp is that that's where most of the key story scenes. It does seem that way, where a lot you of the get with your character yeah. interactions happen. It really seems like that's where most of them are. You still get some, like a out... lot of them happen in the world. Yeah. Around big events, uh-huh. but yeah, a, a good a majority of them, I think, are in camp. Yeah. At least so far. So, do we want to talk a little bit about who those origin characters are? Sure, if you want to. I picked four to talk about because they seemed non-spoilery, but I will open it up to you if you'd like to talk about the other one. They all exist at the beginning. They They're don't all... all exist at the beginning. That's one thing I learned today. Most of them exist <laughs> within the first hour. They all exist within the first hour. I don't think so. The first two hours. Mm. I think so. I still haven't found like three of them or four. Uh... No, I promise. That's more a... Th- uh, it depends which route you go. That's more a sign of the world being big rather than them not being available. No, okay. So the reason that I'll pause for our listeners, the reason that I am being wishy-washy on spoilers is because there have been a few characters that I didn't realize could be companions and a couple of other folks as I've been reading through Reddit and scrolling through TikTok that have also mentioned Hmm. that they missed out on opportunities to have companions because they didn't do the right thing and didn't realize they were companions. So I do think there are some spoilery ones. The ones that I called out, which I think were maybe a little bit too tight, I think we can talk about more of them, were Lizelle. Is that how you say that? Lizelle. Lizelle, who is, what's it? A Githyanki. Githyanki. Shadowheart. Yep. Lizelle is a fighter. Shadowheart is a cleric. Shadowheart is a half-elf cleric. Half-elf cleric. I didn't realize she's half-elf. Yep. So those two, Lazelle and Shadowheart, you get during that like opening tutorial. Yeah. Like you will get them. Yes. The Gale kind of is too. That was the next one that I had down was Gale, which is our wizard. Yep. Um, and I was wondering if there was any way to avoid him. And I can't decide if it's just the first time you find a portal, which I think uh, it might be. Yeah. I mean, you could walk past it. I don't know if the first portal you touched will do it. You're meant to find him. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the beginning. So there's Gale, the wizard. And then Astarian. Is that how you say that? Astarian. Astarian. Yep. He is a rogue. Mm-hmm. He is a... <laughs> He's a vampire. He is a half-elf vampire rogue. Okay. <laughs> Technically, okay, wait. Technically, he's not even a full vampire. He's Actually, like, I don't know if he's a half elf. He think he's a high elf. He might be a high elf. I think you're right. He think he's a high elf. But he is a vampire, which you learn very, very early. They all have like their own little quirks, which you learn yep. pretty fast. You don't find out he's a vampire immediately. Mm-hmm. But the very first time you meet him, he's in like frilly old style <laughs> like outfit. With fangs. He's got white hair, fangs, <laughs> red eyes, pale, pale, like bloodless skin. So- if we be spoiled that for you, yes. like, so sorry, <laughs> so, but come on. If the clues are there. Yeah. <laughs> you also very quickly run across an exsanguinated boar mm-hmm. after meeting him. Yeah. Like a, a boar just oh, dead. Oh, yeah, been you're right. Yeah, you showed me that. It's a clue to a star and being a vampire before you find out. Yeah. Chris is all really excited to show me that boar. And yes. I was like, I already know he's a vampire. Okay. <laughs> You don't have to find the boar before you find out because finding out is based on how many long rests you take. The funny thing is next I wanted to talk about favorite companions just because there's so many companions. I thought we could just focus on the ones that we either really enjoy or really don't enjoy. And of course, my favorite companions are two that I did not mention already. Mine But I don't think mine are super spoilery. So the other two that I want to talk about then are Karlak, who is a barbarian. Karlak's my favorite so far. I know. She's so good. She's fun. And then Will... Was up there too. I don't like Will. <gasps> Why do you like Will? He's too self-righteous. He 
Ugh, have you followed his storyline yet? Yeah, I've got a little farther. I don't know. I just don't. He's very like, I don't know. He's very like Zorro. He's very like. <laughs> he He is an upstanding dude who makes choices to be like. Look at me helping other people. He's like, look at how cool he, I am saving people. But and sure, he's saving people. But then he goes to the tavern and brags about Did it. you get to the... <laughs> did you... Did you... <laughs> no, I have, I've gotten only a little bit far in Will's story. Did you much. figure out what his deep, dark secret is? No, but I have guesses. So let's not talk about it. No, okay, well, that's he's... more spoiler. Okay, fine. Spoiling. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, it's really good. I really like it. And I think he is much better after you find out the deep dark secret. Yeah, actually, there's a tangent here. The game is so faithful to D&D lore and mm-hmm. Faerun lore that you can guess you can guess a lot of things in the game by knowing about Faerun. And if you know things, wait, can I can you tell me your guess? Tell me your guess. My brother and I were talking about it. Um, I promise I will not tell if you're right or wrong. I'm just going to sit here and giggle regardless. (laughs) Um, We've gotten far enough to know that Will is hunting Carlac. Yes. And he believes that Carlac is a demon, the warlord of Zariel, which is a whole other story from (laughs) a There's a lot of stories in here, y'all. Yes. We're not quite there, but guessing ahead, uh, my brother and I believe that more D&D backstory. It's okay, it's not (laughs) Yeah. So every class in D&D has some background. In particular, magic users are interesting because they get their magic from a source. Right. Wizards get their magic from study, from learning to manipulate inherent magic. Or in the world. if you're Gale, by inhaling all of my important shit. Yes, or that. <laughs> if you can't tell, Gale is currently my least favorite character. Yes, I'm not a huge fan of Gale. Yeah, sorry, um, continue. Yes, sorcerers have innate magic. Something about their bloodline or where they were raised or whatever has just given them like innate magical ability. Warlocks, on the other hand, like Will, get their magic from a patron, a god of some sort, a god or a demon or a powerful magical entity. Hmm. And so if you're using a warlock in D&D or in Baldur's Gate, in theory, you have been granted you have been granted this by some patron and depending on that patron they may have expectations for you they may expect you to do stuff for them or to represent them in certain ways or to something or other they also might not but it just depends on the magical entity that's granted you your powers in will's case my brother and i were pretty sure that his patron lied to him that basically set him on the hunt for carlac and lied about Carlac being a demon, which she's not, uh-huh. and what she did and how evil she is and all of these things. That's really bad for a warlock because their patron is the one that gives them their powers. Hmm. So you can't really go back to your patron and be like, yo, you lied to me because then they might be like, you're right. And you don't have any magic <laughs> anymore, Yeah, which is a really interesting yeah. dilemma to be put in. So I don't know if that's actually what is going on with Will. If you get, if you have the right Arcana class or Warlock class, there's a little bit of a line that talks about his stone eye possibly being what's called a send stone, which basically either he could be a little live video feed for his patron that's been lying to him Creepy. or his patron didn't tell him and gave him his stone eye and he's spying <gasps> through his eye. Or 
Anyway, lots of different things. I don't know which it is. I'm not far enough. I won't tell you. You might have more secrets. But anyway. I'm not telling. Okay. That's another example of like knowing something about Faerun and D&D classes is interesting here because knowing about a warlock's relationship to their patron makes it interesting to think about the warlock being lied to by their patron or other things or Hmm. being tricked or other things like that. So it's interesting. Interesting. You said your favorite was Carlac, though? Yes, Carlac's my favorite. How come? Um, is it just because reasons. she's a barbarian or is it because she's super cool? Because it's she's super cool. It's both. <laughs> um, yes, I think her writing and her character so far is really fun. Yeah. I've never played a barbarian before. I never wanted to because it just felt like you run at people and hit them. Yeah. I didn't realize that you can run at people and hit them in really fun ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the moment I started playing, I was telling you about a little bit ago about my like running up to the high things and diving off with big sword attacks. That's with Carlac. Yeah. And so it was my first time playing a barbarian. It was fun. From a story perspective, she's also awesome. Mm-hmm. Tieflings are really fun. They are prejudiced against a lot in the yeah. world of Faerun because they're half demon, half human. My rogue is a tiefling. Um, she gets yes. a lot of sass. They're not evil but they are partially descended from typically evil beings and so it's an interesting just an interesting background for a character to have the world also seems to be very racist towards drows which is my other character so i've got drows and i've got tieflings and i'm just all the time being crapped on yep but if you are one of those characters that do tend to get crapped on for being descended from evil of some fashion then you can just blend into the enemy camps (laughs) like they don't even fight you sometimes you're just like hey guys and they're like hey (laughs) you're just like cool yes well but then sometimes you get attacked by people who think that you're a part of the enemy so it's a pretty interesting even more interesting mechanically sometimes those classes or races will get advantage on like intimidation checks or things like that yeah that's um, true because people are scared of them that's true which is interesting yeah so who's your least favorite character gail gail yeah he's also my really like lazelle either I don't really like Shadowheart either. Okay, apparently we just copied each other. Well, I didn't put Shadowheart there. I think she's fine. I put Gale and Lazel. I'm interested in your reasoning. My reasoning is that Gale is a horn dog in a way that seems really unnatural. Hmm. And I was reading more about it, and it seems like it might actually just be a bug where his romance is always on. Oh, but you you were sitting right next to me when Gail started romancing me, and I hadn't been doing anything flirty at all. And all of a sudden, he's like... It's the old Civ Four Gandhi trick. <laughs> I don't understand the reference. <laughs> In some older what? games, Gandhi was the most militaristic of oh. all of the Civs. And it's widely understood that it's because they looped negative on his peacefulness. <laughs> and he became so the, the most warmongering <laughs> of the Civs. Yes. It, seems, yes. it really seems buggy to me because it just seems like no matter what I do, Gail is just all into it. And I'm just like, this is very confusing. So another part of the companion aspect is the ones that you bring with you on your missions react based on the choices that you make. And so it'll be like, Gail approves or Gail disapproves up in the corner. For Gail, it feels like, I don't I don't think I've ever seen him disapprove anything I've done. <laughs> and because of all that, it just seems like you're kind of forced into experiencing that, even when you say you don't well, really want he to. he probably will disapprove. Maybe one I'm just too the, good. No, it's one of the <laughs> things that's so good about how Larian implemented D&D here mm-hmm. is one of the things you're supposed to do when you make a character and play a character in D&D is you build a background and you build preferences and feelings and thoughts for your character yeah. and you try to do those things. Yeah, be true to the character that you yes. are. Yeah. And sometimes it goes farther. Paladins take holy oaths to a god that they will behave in 
certain ways. Mm. If you don't, you lose your powers. Mm. I haven't played a lot of Paladin, but my brother started playing a Paladin. I believe that those things are implemented in Baldur's Gate. Oh. Like if you play the type of Paladin that has promised to never lie, for instance, and then you lie, there will be consequences. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Because you're not supposed to lie. Okay. Well, so far he's liked everything I've done and it feels annoying. Maybe you just don't know what he doesn't like yet. Maybe. But on the flip side, Lazelle, the reason that I put her as my I don't really like her very much isn't because I don't like the character. I think she's kind of fun and sassy in her anger. I don't know. I just, didn't really like anything about her. Like, she I, just seemed very one-sided, mad at everything. She also and hit she on me. she played the most boring D&D class. That's true. Her class is pretty boring. I didn't really want to play it. And as soon as I got something that could replace it, I did. But the thing that I actually didn't like about her was she was mad at everything. And so every single choice I made, I was like, oh, my God, what's Lazelle going to (laughs) think? I was like, I don't think I can take another Lazelle disproves. I can't do this. Lazelle's very opinionated. She actually distressed me out to play her because I want my companions to like me. And I felt like nothing I could do aligned with what she wanted. I only got her to approve on a couple of things. And then after I did that, she like super hit on me. And then when I said no, she's like, you are going to regret this. Yeah, Lazelle's a little mad about things. I'm a little upset because the only people that have hit on me are the characters that are in my least favorites list. I know. No one likes me. (laughs) I also don't like Shadowheart. Shadowheart's very, like, tortured, overly tortured to the point of also kind of one-sided. I can't get her to talk to me. No matter what I do, she just won't talk to me. I suspect that Shadowheart has the most interesting backstory of any of the origin characters. I can't find it. There are a lot of clues to it. Well, I've a lot been, of them are. A lot of them seem religious. A lot of them require some knowledge of D and D, Faerun. Mm. They are hinting at all of it, but there's actually a ton of references to it, and it's mm. going to become a big thing, I suspect. Interesting. Um, later in the game. Yeah, I've seen some hints of things. I just feels like every single thing is pulling teeth, and I never know when to stop pressing because I'm like, if I stop now, will she just never tell me? Or if I push, will she never tell me because she's mad? There have been enough clues in the world that are specific to Shadowheart's backstory that I suspect it's going to be bigger than other things in the mm. world. And she is a P0 character because yes. you get her right at the beginning. She is she is a cleric of Shar. Yeah. That's um, what I was saying the religious thing is I've seen her mention a couple of times some weird religious stuff about Shar well, versus the other thing. Religion isn't quite the right word because they're all just gods. Oh. And so paladins worship gods, clerics worship gods. Gods are kind of just in the world in Faerun. It is obviously a religion, but it's all religion in, in Faerun in D&D but specifically she's a cleric of Shar yeah which is I don't know I don't remember the exact details but like a god of the night kind of a thing yeah versus Saloon which right, is the, the god of the remember. moon or the yeah. whatever I don't know a lot about this lore but I know that people don't like worshippers of Shar in general hmm. and also throughout the Emerald Grove in Act 1 and in a bunch of other places there have been like a lot of references to I've seen references to the Sal- fight between yeah. Saloon and Shar I have seen that in the pantheon of the gods of Faerun and yeah. all that so yeah she's probably going to be a pretty interesting part of the story we'll which is out. sad because I don't really like her character <laughs> You're so like, far which is sad because <laughs> she'll be back at camp <laughs> yes maybe it'll get better though <laughs> 
Um, when we get a little bit farther. Yeah. Is there anything else about the companions that you wanted to talk about? Not really. I think the one little thing is just that you can switch and they keep the levels of your companions the same. Mm. Yeah, that's really nice. And so you don't get behind. And so you can hot swap if you want to learn a new D&D class or you're not locked in once you make a choice. Yeah. I will say that in kind of edging into the combat system, which we mentioned earlier was turn-based, you are a little... I don't want to say forced, but for example, Astarian, I haven't played ever with him as my companion because he's a rogue and my character is a rogue and it feels like the wrong balance to have multiple rogues on your team at a time. And since I obviously am going to play my character, it feels weird to have him also along. So even though you can swap them out, I think when it comes to their different combat abilities, you kind of want to make the right combination of people, even if it's not necessarily your top three. You can also respect your class entirely. Oh, yes, you're right. You and can so once you find the set but of companions you want to do, you probably want to respect to something that matches the set of companions you want to play with. Mm. Um, that's up to you. Hmm. You don't have to. I've seen a lot of people say they like Astarian, so maybe... Or maybe I'll just do that in our druid game. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get a druid. Yeah. And a rogue. Yeah. And a warlock. The- and not Gale. <laughs> and not Gale. <laughs> yes. Not Gale. I was trying to think of if there's any interesting thing about combat for this that stands out. Combat is D&D. Yeah. With one glaring addition. Mm-hmm. I say glaring like it's a bad thing. It's actually kind of an awesome thing. Uh-huh. In D&D, there's a difference between how you mechanically implement things and the story behind what you're doing. Yeah. When you play a turn in tabletop D&D, a turn is supposed to represent six seconds. Mm-hmm. And one turn set of turns, one round of the table plus the enemies, is in theory supposed to be happening in the same six second window. And so that's not how it actually goes. You do it one at a time yeah. and those actions go in that order. But in theory, you're, it's supposed to represent everybody's action in a given six second window. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in tabletop land. Yeah. In Baldur's Gate, they go one step further, which D&D can't do, which is any character that rolls the same, the same is able to take their turn simultaneously for those that haven't played D, you roll initiative yes, at the beginning of a fight to, to see like ordering. how fast you are yep. and what order you're going to be in and any characters with the same initiative in tabletop you'd have to break the tie in Baldur's gate you just get to go at the same time because yeah. it's which is pretty nice virtual and so it's cool yeah that's pretty nice it makes a lot of different kinds of strategies that you can do when you have multiple people that can all do it at the same time yeah it's yeah. neat. One of the things that I really liked about the combat, now actually that we're talking about it, is there seems like a lot of opportunity to do silly, funny things that are kind of out of the box that aren't just, I'm going to whack this baddie with my sword. Some of the fun things I've done, like you could just push them off cliffs. You yep. just push them off and then they're gone. Once I learned that, I pushed so many people off cliffs. That was one of the things I had in my notes is the shove action. It's a bonus action. So unless you have other things to do with your bonus action, you can shove somebody every turn. Yeah. And, and I do. <laughs> that's also in D&D. But nobody does it Ever that I've ever it. played with because yeah. you don't remember, you don't think of it, you yeah. don't whatever. But it's just sitting there and you're like, yeah. well, I don't have anything to do, so and I might so as well shove this, this guy off the cliff. <laughs> there's this interesting aspect of like it being shown to you and visible that you can do the thing yeah. that makes it easier to live up to what D&D actually does offer, but yeah. you don't always remember to do. 
Yeah. To describe bonus action stuff. Each turn you get a certain set of movement based on your character. You get a action, like a primary action, and then you get a bonus action. And some combination of that might mean you get more actions or more movement or whatever, just because of the nature of the skills that you use. But that's generally the structure. Yeah. My favorite moment is I realized I could burn the ground underneath some villain or some monster characters i fought it probably like 15 times and i couldn't do it and eventually (laughs) i was like that ground looks pretty flammable (laughs) i just burn it up and they fell down a cliff it was great (laughs) that's actually toned down a little bit from divinity divinity was hugely into terrain and element manipulation and things there's not a ton of that there's still a fair bit but not as much as divinity but it's still pretty clever how much stuff you can do you can also and i don't even know if you know this yet there are rules in dnd and also in baldur's gate Uh for improvised weapons oh yes i I have seen that which means you can just pick up random stuff yeah. and just chuck it out you them. can hit children with children i didn't try that it was in the reviews <laughs> but... that i read today oh, interesting <laughs> well probably yeah but like if you've ever been playing a game and thought why can't i just pick up this bucket and throw it at them well now you can you can and it'll do damage <laughs> throw that bucket <laughs> Might not do a lot There's of damage. actually uh, one of the merchants in the Emerald Grove has a ring of throwing that actually makes it do more damage when you throw improvised Amazing. items. There are actually that. whole builds in D&D around, around throwing. throwing random stuff at people. <laughs> <Yes>. Crazy. <laughs> it's a barbarian build, I think, actually. You yeah. rage and then you chuck rocks at everybody. I love it. So I think the last thing that I really wanted to talk about was a little bit of how the dialogue story works. And then we had talked about just taking us through one of the coolest side quests, just talking through it. Because I know that it's not going to spoil Chris, so he won't kill me. Um, And it's also a really fun one. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just generally in this game, we've talked about it, but this game takes choices very seriously. Yeah. And you cannot see all the content in one run because your choices are going to change the game. You should just know that in general. That's just how it works. This isn't one of those games where somebody talks to you and you listen to them talk for every single dialogue option. Like you pick one. Uh, Additional piece of that is you can miss entire storylines by making different or wrong choices so the one that we're about to intro here i had actually missed in my solo game because i chose to not tell this person a secret and apparently you have to tell them the secret if you want this storyline you probably could have found it again later actually which is a part of the interestingness yeah yeah so there's a ton of side quests there's too many for us to even relate in a podcast this could be like a whole podcast by itself just talking about Baldur's gate and so we're going to dive into one and that one is Auntie Ethel. Yeah. Okay, so Auntie Ethel. In the Emerald Grove, there is a random part of the corner where there's this old woman. That's, She's so sweet. This that's little old cooking lady. things. And she calls you Petal all the time. That is a little weird. It's a little weird. You get like a vibe <laughs> from her in the first like one second of talking to her. So you're like, this is not a good person. Yes. Well... Uh, that's how i know she's something that that is how i felt when i talked to her that's why i didn't tell her the secret is because she notices that you're sick because you got the worm in your head 
And you have this option to like tell her about the worm. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to tell this lady because she does not need to know. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've done it both ways. <laughs> um, so you talk to me? this kind old. I've done it both you ways. You talk to this this kind old woman and you've got choices. You can tell her that you need help with this. You can just ignore her and walk away. You can take you some can potion. You j- can like, yeah, take her, her love potion that she's offering you because she thinks you're just a random person asking for something from the old lady selling stuff you can do it a lot of different ways so eventually you're going to end up back at her tea house Mm-hmm. If you tell her the secret, she invites you. And if you wander yes. around long enough, you could probably find it. Yes. If you tell her that you need healing, she'll invite you. I think there's a couple other ways. You can run into some family members of somebody that is staying with Auntie Ethel. Mm. And they can lead you in her direction. And you can also just wander into her house in her mm-hmm. area. Yeah. Yep. All those ways can get you there. Depending on what way you got there, she's going to have a different opinion of you when you get there. And she's also going to offer you different things. So for instance, when you get there, you very quickly find out that things aren't quite what they seem. She owns this like adorable tea house in this field of flowers. It's a beautiful prairie with sheep. sheep all over the place. And as you walk into the beautiful prairie, you are given the opportunity to make a passive <laughs> perception check. Yes, a passive, <laughs> passive perception check. We haven't mentioned this, um, but as you explore the world constantly in the corner of your game is a little perception failed and yes. you're like, mother. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of those moments that is, I think that is the best best version of them recreating the D&D experience of anything in the whole game. Mm-hmm. When you're playing D&D, there are just moments where you'll be wandering around and your DM over there behind their little <laughs> screen will just quietly roll a die <laughs> and you're and like, then why look did back you up do and, that? and not say anything. <laughs> and everybody at the table anytime that happens will be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I stop where I am and I would like to make an investigation check and the DM will be like, what are you investigating? And they'll be like, the room around me just they want to look in the rafters. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they recreated that in Baldur's Gate, which is just perfect. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's, a, it's, it's, it's also really nice. awful, but fun. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, if you break this perception check, you find out that there's actually been a spell cast over the entire area. It's not a beautiful prairie of it's sheep. Not. It is a horrible, fetid swamp of death full of infection and these monsters called red caps that are pretending to be sheep. So I would like to pause us here and say when Chris and I played, he had already played this. And before we went to go play the storyline, because he was dead set on us finding one to do together. And he was like, have you been to the place with the sheep? And I'm like, (laughs) I've seen a sheep. And he's like, no, the sheep. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, the sheep. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not like, you haven't played it yet. Obviously, I haven't played this sheep area. And we get to this beautiful pasture. And I'm like, this is cute. We get to the perception check. And I pass it, flying colors. And then it turns into swamp sadness. And he's talking about this beautiful tea house and all these cute little sheep. And instead, I saw garbage. Yes. <laughs> Just garbage. So if you get to the tea house in beautiful prairie land, there's this like magical well that you can drink from <laughs> that is going to be like the best heavenly water you've ever tasted. Yeah. If you've broken the perception check, it's actually full of rotting yeah. corpses. It's like stank. Yeah. And I, I, I investigated the well. It was stank water. And then it goes, would you like to drink it? And I'm like, who do want to drink freaking stank water? And Chris is like, well, you drink it if it was a magical well. <laughs> yes, a magical unicorn well of magic and happiness. You would drink it without knowing. Yeah. 
<laughs> but instead um, it's dank But water. yes, and her tea house is obviously not a tea house anymore, but more of a lair, really. It's like Hansel and Gretel-esque. It's a lair. It's like an old cottage shack thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of decrepit. Yeah. Probably some dead people. In Definitely closets. some dead people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you walk in and you meet this character named Marina, who is very clearly a prisoner in this setup. Seems very distressed. Yes. (laughs) And they make it clear to you explicitly that she's a prisoner Mm -hmm. and probably going to get eaten in some form Mm -hmm. and all is not well. Yeah. And depending on how you've gotten there, you then have the option to just ignore it and let her heal you. (gasps) She can actually heal me of my worm? There's only one way to find out. She can can she act? That would end the game. I don't know. I haven't actually done it. Oh, okay. um, but you get all the way down it, and yeah, she offers you a trade. She says for the low price of plucking one of your eyes out of your head, <sighs> and she's gonna kiss it and put a spell on it, and then put it back in your head, and your vision will only be slightly impacted. Can I sacrifice Will, will since he already has one she crappy will cure eye? <laughs> your parasite for you. And you didn't actually go through with that? I don't remember. It was early in early access. I haven't yet. Okay. I like playing good characters and things like this. I don't like playing evil characters. But yeah, you could, in theory, just be like, yes, please heal me. That looks fine over there. Please pluck my eyeball out. She looks fine. Marina's probably okay. Um, (laughs) As she screams. Yes. But yeah, you have that option. Does it still look like a tea house that whole time? It can't. You can also do it in swamp, in the swamp. Oh. You can show up and be like, it's interesting. Still want to be healed. <laughs> and then leave. <laughs> okay. I might have to do that playthrough later. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Obviously things are not as they seem. Yep. And if you know anything about Faerun, there's been an interesting clue when you meet people in and around her area. What's her face's brothers? Yes. Myrina? And also her name's Marina's Myrina. brothers yeah. and also another character that's around. Oh. oh they right. kind of derogatorily refer to this old woman as the hag. Yeah. And if you haven't played D&D, you might think that that's just like, yeah, I just they're making fun of this old woman. Yeah, kind of crappy. A hag is a specific monster <laughs> in, in D&D. Yeah. And she is, in fact, a hag. Yeah. Depending on how you get there, things eventually go poorly. Yeah. Well, we should talk about how it goes poorly. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many ways it can go poorly. There are. Okay. So here's my hypothesis for what this hag is doing. She seems to be like eating people. Yeah. Oh, her yeah. energy. She's going to eat Marina. Magic. She's just potion making. Just because she's just eating people. She's gonna eat Marina. Yes, there are a couple... actually not exactly what she's gonna do. It's deeper. No, than yeah, that. it's deeper than that. Yeah, um, she's gonna steal her baby. Yeah. So what you learn? And then probably eat her. Not the baby, Marina. I was gonna say you do all this work just to eat the baby. You're just eating both at the no, same they're time. Gonna keep... She's gonna steal the baby and eat yeah Marina, yeah so you got this <laughs> hag what when we played i just went for it and i was like f you old lady like let my people go and she decided to attack yep and we fight the horde Chase her back into of her sheep. <laughs> sheep. We did kill a lot of sheep. We killed a lot of sheep. Yes. Which, uh, as a side note, if you are in Swampland, they still only say ba. They just say grumpily. They're they like, really bah. Mean sheep. <laughs> bah. Yes. Um, but you chase her into her lair and there's a bunch of like she seems very monkey paw she does things that you ask but it's never in the way that you anticipate one of the people I can't remember wanted to live be beautiful forever or live forever I can't remember so she had him be alive plucked off his head and have him face a mirror I don't know it's weird yeah but it was very monkey paw-esque yeah all of them yeah that's what she does. She's a hag. She does, in theory, help people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she could have healed me, apparently. If there's a sufficient trade. 
basically. Yeah. She doesn't only exist to do evil. She's just out for herself, basically. Yeah. yeah. In D&D, I believe she's a fae. She's a, mm. she's a magical being that, that just sense. has opinions about the world. But yeah, it, you chase her into her lair. It can go a lot of different ways. Mm. You can actually make friends with her and then break into her lair. And that can lead to a fight separately. Oh. One thing that I'm going to tell you now that we're <gasps> live on our podcast <gasps> Um, when we were in that lair playing together, yeah. there was one point where Are you I, keeping secrets from me? I was a really good actor. Uh-huh. There was one part where I very nonchalantly, we were trying to work our way down through this lair to her, and I was like, it looks like maybe there's another path over there. And you were like, no, that just goes back where we came, but down a different way. It doesn't. It does. I traced it. It's a different place. No. It's a different place. Why is there a separate place? Where there's does it secret. go? Is it a room? There's a secret. Is it more people to fight? So it's something. Is it a fiery sword? It's a secret. Oh my God. It looked the same. <laughs> and there were puffs of poison everywhere and yes. we didn't know how to turn them off. But if you go there, something very exciting happens. You suck. Very exciting. Suck. Yes. Oh my Anyway, God. so then you, you make your way down and you eventually start fighting her. I'm going to just go into describing this arena because yeah. there's some fun stuff that you didn't even see that Mother. I was hoping that you would, but then it didn't work out that way. And we talked about it at the time, but I didn't get to show you. So anyway, you start this fight and this is where you really understand. This is the thing that convinced me that they like understood the point of what playing D&D is. Yeah. In another game, you might get to the boss fight and just do the boss fight. Like yeah. you fight her. But that's it's not that simple ever uh-huh. in D&D. And it's not that simple here. When you get into the arena, Marina is suspended in a wooden cage right. over a bottomless pit. Of course. Auntie Ethel the hag attacks you she throws fire at the wooden cage and lights it on fire so now right off the bat not only are you fighting her you also need to figure out how to save marina if you want if you want to (laughs) you also don't have to save marina i know because i killed her at least three times she can die you can kill her yourself Really, the choice it's is true. Yours. I mixed her up with the hag and shot her instead. And that yes. was her <laughs> untimely demise. So in our playthrough, when me and you played it, we actually walked over to the control orb yeah. for this little platform in the middle of the fight and used it to lower her burning cage so that she could run out. Right. Right. Yeah. At which point she enters the arena and Auntie Ethel doesn't directly attack her, but in some parts she'll like disguise herself as her. So there's two Marinas and you have to try and guess which one and maybe you'll actually kill the real Marina. And yeah. that's very D&D, right? It's not a straight fight. There's some interesting thing that's a puzzle that you're trying to figure out. Yeah. Now here's the part I really wanted you to see hmm. that you didn't get to. Is it if I would have had a water spell instead yes. of using it on the stupid poison and not working? Yes, but it's more fun than you think. Because mm. I asked you if you had a water spell at the time because your cage it. was burning. I used it. I know, but I asked you about it and you would used it. And so we couldn't put her cage out with water. That's not all that happens. Oh. If you put her cage out with water, you make Marina wet. Mm. And when Ethel tries to disguise herself as Marina, one is only wet? one of them is <gasps> wet. Oh my god stupid <laughs> ah isn't that fun that is really cool so it's just so like it's so deep and it's mm. so puzzly and there's all these paths ranging from like murdering Marina yourself to saving her in a way that actually helps you solve a riddle later in the fight all I would like the audience to know is that I wanted to douse her in water I just <laughs> couldn't because there were poison puffs everywhere and I was trying to get through them and I thought maybe I could dispel the poison by raining on it and I didn't quick save before I did that. Yep. <laughs> 
That's actually the last thing I want to say that's a little bit different from D&D. It's not actually different from D&D. It's different because you have the game instead of a I was going to say, because it's a video game. Well, it's different having curated stories as opposed to a DM guiding your story. Yeah. In D&D, not everything is equally useful because a lot of DMs will be prone to creating situations where certain things are more useful than other things yeah. just because they are people. They are humans that are yeah. creating things. In the game, they work really hard to make everything useful. So if you're looking at a spell like create and destroy water when you're building your character and you have the choice between create and destroy water and hurl a giant fireball you're gonna be like why would i want to create some water when i could throw a fireball well they're gonna make a use for that Mm. spell and so almost any choice you make in the game, it seems like they've created a scenario somewhere that can capitalize on that choice if you're able to find it. If and you think can find of it, it at the time. And not waste it on poison. And not waste it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the ending to that, if you do manage to save Myrina. Marina? Marina. <laughs> the whole premise of why Marina has been abducted here is she's made a deal with the hag for her child in exchange for realiving her dead husband. Yep. And monkey's paw, she had already made the thing that could realive her dead husband. And if you want, you can do it for her because yep. you can find it. You can it find it. After the stuff, hag is after dead. After Or don't kill her. You can also make a deal with her. Oh, right. And she'll make you stronger and then leave. You can also make a deal with her and keep Marina, or make a deal with her and give her Marina, or any of the other combinations. I think I got, we got stronger and I got Marina. I did every, and Um, she's dead. We almost did. Yeah. And we killed her after it. Yeah. We did all of it. I think so. Win, win, win. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And then we raised alive her dead husband into a zombie. Yes. Yeah, monkey zombie. paw, yes. zombie. Yes. It was really a fun scene because you can choose to like, I think, command him as a pet. So there's like a lot of ways it can end, actually. You can not find the wand and right. just leave. of course. You can find the wand, but not use it to bring him back to life. Boo. You can bring him back to life and keep the wand, right. in which case you just keep him as a pet yeah, zombie. Yeah, he's like a pet. For then on. You can bring him back to life and give her the wand so that she has her zombie husband. Yeah. And there's probably a couple in between. But you can do all of these things. Yeah. Or miss it completely. And I obviously ended up giving her her husband because then she makes a mention of maybe seeing you later in Baldur's Gate. Yeah. I'll be be interested to see if she ever fixes her husband or what things ensue from carrying (laughs) around your dead zombie husband. Yep. But I am a little ticked that I didn't end up with the zombie (laughs) pet. That's actually how my brother and I play. Rather than being pure good or evil, we're usually good, but we actually, what we actually choose when given a decision is what will make for the most interesting story later. Chaos? Are you saying the words chaos? No, the most story. I know. Chaos. Not chaos. We sound a little chaos No. No? No, just content. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that's a, a square. <laughs> There's no content the square. Content There's square. no true neutral content. We are neutral content square. <laughs> But yeah, that's the story of the hack. Yep. I really like that one. That was one of my favorite ones so far. Yeah, it's fun. Is there anything else before we hop into our final thoughts? Oh, one last thing. Two yes. second thing. Yeah. One really cool thing they do that you can do as a DM if you do it yourself in the game, but isn't a default part of D&D rule sets. Mm-hmm. 
is they will rebrand existing spells to be thematic spells. And so like there's a spell called Shield of Faith that gives you plus two AC. There's a sword you can get in the game that's like a paladin sword themed after the god Tyr that that paladin worships. And that sword, if you hold it, gives you the spell Tyr's Protection, which is just a rebranded Shield of Faith. And so they kind of expand the spell repertoire by using existing things with flavor. That's fun. I like that. That's cool. I think if I had a fun last thing before I get into recommendations, it would be if anyone knows what the cow says, (laughs) then please tell me. You'll know if I, you'll know. If you hear this and you're like, haha, I know, tell me. This is very important. I missed it on my druid character. (laughs) I missed it on the the round with my whole group and none of us could speak to animals. I just need to know. I've actually passed all the checks. No, I passed all the checks I thought, but I didn't get... Oh, yeah, it doesn't say anything yet. <sighs> Not at the part of the game we're at yet. Oh, my God. Okay, <laughs> well, if you guys know. Cool. Well, into final thoughts, recommendations. For me, I would definitely recommend this game. Absolutely. Yep. I was actually thinking about who I would recommend it to and why, because this is just an excellent game, a high caliber game. I've run into bugs, and honestly, I have not cared. It's a really good game. I was thinking about who I'd recommend it to. And I was kind of wondering if fantasy book readers that haven't played video games before would like it. Yeah. I think they would because it's so much about the story and the options and like the development of the characters and turn-based combat isn't really that stressful because you have all the time in the world to take your turn. So I actually would say fantasy book readers, I think this is a good option. I would say if you are somebody who just doesn't have a lot of time and you don't want to sink time into things and you aren't the kind of person who likes to do like, hey, I'll play an hour tonight and an hour later and feel good about that. You rather have a lot shorter, I can finish this. I don't think that you're going to necessarily like this experience. I still think it's a good game and I would recommend thinking about it a little hard because it is really good. You can still kind of think of it like an episodic TV show. Like you you can, can do it bits and pieces at a time. You can. It's just, it's one of those things where it can definitely be intimidating to start yeah. oh, for yeah, sure. It is. But overall, I would recommend it. And some of my reasons why are just, it sucked me in. I really liked it. I thought that I wasn't going to like it because I had played it at PAX last year. And I was like, okay, this is fine. The tutorial in the early access was basically just combat. Yeah, you that's all it was. You didn't get the feeling of the world and... Yeah. The depth. Exactly. And the combat, to be honest, just isn't my favorite. I just don't really like that kind. I like how it's so creative it is. And I did enjoy it. But that's definitely not the thing that had me coming back to play it. But overall, it just, it really sucked me in. And I kept thinking like, ooh, I want to play more. And the only reason I haven't played as much and made it all my way through the game just yet is because I have to stream it from my PC to my (laughs) Mac so that I can sit on the couch while I do it so I don't have to be locked up in my office. And I would give it five out of five Carlax. That's right. I stole (laughs) Carlax. So your rating is going to have to be different because Carlax is mine. Oh, I have to pick a different one? Yeah. Okay. I will. Okay, so what about you? I'm going to make two recommendations. Ooh, the first spicy. is... That's not how we do it here. Doing it. <laughs> doing it. The first is for people who have thought about playing real D&D. I think that this game is going to be the new default way that people learn to hmm. play actual D&D. I like that. Yep. It's also less intimidating than D&D. D&D yes. is intimidating. As intimidating as Baldur's Gate feels, it is less intimidating than D&D. Entirely. And it puts all of the skills that you have available to you right in front of you, shows you which you can use when, how they work, 
everything. I think this game is going to be the new way to learn how to play real D&D. Yeah, yeah. The second recommendation mm. is a reverse recommendation. That doesn't make any sense. For everybody playing Baldur's Gate right now, <laughs> you Divinity. should go play Divinity. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Specifically, <laughs> Divinity Original Sin 2. You do not need to play the first one. If you enjoy Baldur's Gate, you will also enjoy Divinity. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> oh, and my rating is 5 out of 5. Persuasion checks. Persuasion. No, passive perception checks. Passive perception five checks. Out those of are five out of 5 passive perception checks. If I could actually get 5 <laughs> out of 5 of those, it would be a miracle. Yes, that would be nice. An absolute miracle. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to our podcast. And thank you, Chris, for joining thank us you. today. I hope I did okay at being not Maddie. You did great. Although I miss you, Maddie. Come back. Yes. Yeah. But that's not because you didn't do it. You did great. <laughs> if you liked it, don't forget to subscribe and rate it. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Batty Breakdowns. And visit our website, BattyBreakdowns.com, made by me, Bridget Keen. The podcast art was done by the lovely Tanisha Vernikar. And the podcast was edited by also me, because Maddie's not here. She's in the Dolomites. Next time, Maddie will just be getting back, so we won't have time for a full episode of a new game. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to start playing Starfield and do a mini episode of First Impressions and how we're feeling about it. And then following that, we'll do a full deep dive into Starfield after we've had a little bit more time to play. And with that, thanks, guys. Hooray. Bye. Bye. Bye.